This is the Beyond Belief Sobriety Podcast, where we examine topics of interest to people who seek a secular path to recovery from addictions of all kinds. Well, I'm really looking forward to this conversation tonight uh, with this guest, and I'm thinking that you're going to relate to her story pretty well yourself. She's been sober for over eight years now, and she had sort of an awakening, if you will. Uh, she suddenly kind of realized what that what she wrote is that uh, the God premise of AA, that he has a plan for each of us, kind of little by little corrupted her thinking into a way that predisposed her to seeing uh, faded patterns and outcomes. But she successfully removed God from her recovery, and she has... Um, started a secular AA meeting at our home group, and I'm just really looking forward to learning more about her and her story. So uh, welcome, Katie, to uh, Beyond Belief Sobriety. It's so nice to have you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Why don't we start from um, sort of the beginning, I guess. Uh, what happened, to talk about your, your journey through addiction and what happened that got you coming into uh the program and what your first impressions were and kind of how you evolved. And we'll just kind of, we'll just kind of have a conversation about that as you, as you go along. Sure. Well, um, like many, I would say that from my very first drink, I had the sense that, um, it was an abnormal drinker. I was 15 and, um, I mean, I'd had tastes of alcohol before that, uh, ironically, at, um, at church. Okay, there you go. <laughs> I mean, not only through communion, but also the, the wine and cheese the social gatherings they would have. I remember me and a friend went around and uh, were slamming half full uh, cups of wine from tables around, around the vestibule, <laughs> which is a pretty you know, auspicious beginning to the whole thing. But I, uh, you know, as soon as um, drinking became part of the social scene, I, I immediately felt like I just I want to feel this way all, always, all the time. For me, the big, a big part was the social anxiety. I just was always worried about, um, you know, am I fitting in? What are other people thinking about me? And, um, you know, as soon as alcohol was on board, that just went away. And so you know, really through high school, I just was, um, you know, always hanging with the people who were doing that. But uh, kind of from an early age, fell into the pattern of like, you know, work hard, play hard. Um, so I was also doing athletics and for a while keeping up good grades. Um, but then, you know, every opportunity partying, you know, that worked pretty well for a while. But then, uh, I kind of hit this like premature bottom my senior year of high school. And uh, it was around a relationship. And um, it was, you know, it was an attachment that became really obsessive. And, um, you know, so I just that sort of relationship alcohol and, and like workaholism were kind of like the three branches of my, um, neuroses that would like pretty much, uh, form my, you know, good part of my adult life. And, um, so yeah, I just really went off the rails with this relationship and, you know, and 
lost. Yeah, I was um, sneaking out and partying and just fell. Yeah, it was kind of the lowest point that I've ever hit with addiction and and like not functioning. I was failing out of school, um, suicidal. And, um, you know, I was a self mutilator. And I, you know, just really looked and was yeah, my, the therapist I was seeing was like, this girl needs to be in the hospital. And anyway, I didn't, didn't want to do that. And kind of had this epiphany that um, the whole time I'd been kind of rebelling against my parents for being lousy parents and uh, had this epiphany that it was my life that I was trashing and um, not, you know, theirs too, but you know, mine, cause I was approaching adulthood and uh, it was like the light came on and um, I, I just kind of took a right turn and, and started to get my stuff back together, um, pulled my grades together enough to, enough to get into college and, um, I kind of had the realization that that was my ticket out, you know, out of this like stupid town away from these stupid people. <laughs> and like, you know, I was gonna, gonna start a fabulous new life. And uh, so that was my, my first geographic was heading off to college where I knew nobody and fresh start. And I kind of felt like at the time, like I dodged a bullet. Like I had, I had gotten really out of control, hit a really low point emotionally but that I had rebounded and it was going to be smooth sailing from there on out. But, you know, and college was, it was up and down. My, my uh, family kind of exploded my freshman year in college. (laughs) Turns out um, my dad, who had been a very uh, devout Catholic, uh, turns out he was having an affair with his father's nurse and um, asked my mother for a divorce. And so kind of this like, family that um, to the outside world had looked very functional, but from the inside I experienced as totally messed up, like all the veil, you know, fell. And um, in a way it was uh, a relief for me because it was like, I always knew like we were messed up. <laughs> but now it was, it was out for there all the world go. to see, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And um so, so yeah, so those were, I mean, that was kind of tumultuous because it was like establishing a new relationship with each of my parents. Um, I had one younger brother who was still at home. So, so yeah, but you know, for the most part, I, I, uh, I managed to pass my classes. I had gone to college with the intention of being a journalist, but, um, then got really interested in psychology. So graduated with a, a psych major and uh, spent a semester abroad. And um, that really was like, I'm seeing the world. And it was, you know, that became part of my identity was that I was just always going to be pushing, pushing out and um, seeking these new adventures. So, so actually, yeah, so I graduated, um, actually put my newly minted psych degree to, to work. And I got a job at a psych hospital, working with adolescents which was, uh, you know, surprisingly like, yeah, I was, I was really rewarding and, um, felt like, you know, I felt like really fortunate because I had had these hardships as, as a, a young person and, um, I was still quite young myself. So, uh, you know, they could relate to me 
And uh, that was kind of the first brush also that I had with Alcoholics Anonymous because the kids would be in, um, you know, would come in with substance abuse problems and um, they would have AA um, meetings there. Well, and the um, drug and alcohol counselors would, you know, be pushing the 12 steps. And um, I remember in listening to them and hearing the stories thinking how, hmm, there's some similarities there to the way I drink, <laughs> but, but not uh, anywhere near ready to identify myself as an alcoholic. My boyfriend, though, he was definitely an alcoholic. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah I, was, I had no problem telling him that. And as long as I was better than him, then, then I was probably okay. But uh, yeah, and so um, during that time, decided I was going to be a uh, family counselor. And so went to school to get my master's in social work. And um, yeah, then it was, it was just the same thing, like work myself to, to death. Like I worked an overnight job and then went to school during the day and just um, really, really pushing myself. Um, but then on the weekends partying and uh, you know, by then like drugs were also part of it. And uh I finished my degree in social work, but by the end had pretty much decided that that wasn't going to be my, my path. And so I decided to, you know, another geographic move to Spain, worked as an au pair, um, just, um, kind of sought out new experiences, but, uh, yeah, another relationship that was pretty unhealthy and lots of drinking and then ended up back in the, the U S and, um, decided I'm going to switch careers again. And, um, this time, uh, decided to pursue journalism. Oh, okay. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Yeah. I kind of, I felt like I had sold myself short by not pursuing that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to the university of Kansas actually. Oh, how about that? And, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, kind of got on that track and, um, I was really drawn of course to, to journalism because mm-hmm. of the, uh, you know, the whole idea, like a for, foreign correspondent was what I really wanted to do and just imagined like, you know, like a Hemingway sort of lifestyle, right, right. like drink cars, like, brush into danger, mm-hmm. all of that. And so, um, you know, that appealed to me and, um, got hooked on newspaper. And so my first job was border in Mexico and, um, or I was in Texas, but right next to Mexico. So I get to go into, uh, into Mexico to do reporting and, um, yeah, found cocaine to be readily available and quite cheap. And so, so yeah, again, it was kind of like wherever that scene was, I always kind of managed to find it and end up there. But, um, you know, did another geographic this time and ended up in uh, Albuquerque. And um, that was where I met the person who had eventually become a husband. And, um, it kind of seemed like, okay, now I'm a grown up. you know, I've met this person, we have a serious relationship and, you know, I'd had like a, a pretty good career trajectory, despite like, you know, my weekend activities, I was kind of, you know, 
I'd had also some like a couple of depressive episodes where, um, you know, and I started uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. And, you know, I remember the therapist saying, you know, you've, your profile is like strong for alcoholism. How about that? You know, if, if you're, if you're drinking, I'd advise you, you cut back. And that was, <laughs> that was um, the first time really that I ever gave any thought to, to cutting back. And so that was like where I began that long process of trying to you know, put it in a box and like, it was like only on um, weekends. And so I did that for a while. But then when I met my future husband, you know, he didn't really have a problem with the drinking, although he wasn't a drinker. So then it was like, well, I'll drink, if I drink, I can drink every day, but just not, I'm not drinking as much was my rationalization. And um, so anyway, we had, you know, some adventuresome like first years, I got um, an opportunity to teach journalism in South America um, right after we got married. And, um, but then we came back to the um, U.S. because we wanted, well, we had jobs waiting for us here. And we were like, now's, now's a good time to start a family. But uh, within a week, I... Um, found out I was pregnant and got a job offer to work for an international news agency. And um, the two things were kind of like indirect conflict <laughs> because the, the latter would require me to move um, all, for us to move to Mexico city. And uh, my, my then husband, my husband by that time was really opposed to it. Like after, you know, he'd, originally been up for like the globe globe trotting lifestyle, but, um, you know, by the time it was like, we're going back, we're starting a family. He was in that mode. And so he was really opposed to it. Um, but I just like ramrodded it through. I was, um, you know, kind of really like said, like, I, I, I don't think I could ever forgive you if I don't have this opportunity. And, um, so we moved and my son was born in Mexico and, um, I really, I loved my job, but my, my husband was miserable and, um, you know, I saw like, I'm a mom now, like I have to start, start thinking of someone besides myself. So we decided to come back and we just were looking around for, for places and there was a job opening at a um, paper in Colorado and um, it was where he had gone to college. So we were really familiar with the town and I was like, okay, how about there? You know? And it was, um, it was like, uh, again, like this was going to be the way to make things right. Even though it meant like stepping off the, career ladder that I climb, you know, clawed my way up, you know, we got here and my second child was born. And, um, you know, after, after that, the job was like, not super gratifying, <laughs> you know, cause it wasn't, you know, yeah, I, it was, well, whatever. Um, but, you know, I think that at that point I kind of had, in, in my mind decided that like, 
you know, he robbed me of my career. So now I have an excuse to drink. And that is where it just kind of really started to get beyond where I could mash it any into any sort of control. And I think, you know, the part of it that would that really took me out was, you know, the isolation, because, you know, I, I just never had found anyone that I connected with. So my I had like no social circle, I had, you know, work and, you know, I had, I had home. And I, um, my MO, <laughs> which was, um, was uh, to keep up appearances was I became this like, cause you know, I'm never like moderate in anything. So I became this like crazy Martha Stewart, like gardener, like canner, <laughs> like make everything from scratch, mm-hmm. but like doing it all drunk <laughs> because like, as long as I was in the kitchen, nobody was going to bother me. And, you know, and I was, uh, could be there and drink without, um, you know, raising too much suspicion. And it was just, um, you know, it, the day would start okay at okay. But then by the end of it, I was just like, uh, in a, in a hole, I was just so, yeah, I just, it just was getting darker and darker in my head. And, um, really the, the thoughts of like suicide and like, how can I do this to my kids were just eating me alive. And I felt like outside of myself, like I wasn't even in my body. I was just looking at me from outside. And, and there was just one day that I was just like, I can't do this. You know, this is the moment. This is kind of like, like my last opportunity that where I'm going to have volition after this, it's just going to be, yeah, I just saw it all right there, all the destruction, all the pain. And um, I was like, I can't, I can't do that. My kids would be better off without me. And um, so, yeah, I found an AA meeting. Turns out it was a block and a half from my house. <laughs> and um, So you went straight to AA, didn't have to, didn't go to treatment, just straight to AA. I did that, did that as well. Yeah. Um, you know, I was a, I was, de- I was a daily drinker, you know, I didn't, I didn't drink at work. But um, as soon as I got home and all day, every weekend day, but um, yeah, fortunately I got started and I didn't have the DTs or anything like that. But, you know, the, the thing that's curious to me that I, I considered a lot, you know, as I <laughs> kind of made this new realization was that, you know, when I came in that first meeting, uh, you know, at the very end, we circled up and we said the Lord's prayer And, um, kind of ironically, it was, it was a powerful thing for me at the time, because it reminded me of my grandmother, who was somebody really important to me and, um, kind of the one person who had really been in my corner and, uh, she died when I was a teenager. And that was kind of the start of the spiral for me. So in that moment, it felt like, I felt like this sense of like support, and like everything's going to be okay. So you had a good first impression, and even the Lord's Prayer, the Protestant version, probably wasn't <laughs> <laughs> yeah. wasn't was too off putting. No, okay. yeah. How, what was your belief was, system at the time? Did you did did you kind of consider yourself a believer at the time, or were you just kind of not really think of it one way or the other? Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I so um, you know I've been raised Catholic. Um, that grandmother, that same grandmother was, had been very devout 
raised her children that way. And so my dad, my mom had had to convert in order for them to get married. And so we were in every um, Sunday at mass family um, did all the sacraments, you know, but by the teenage years, the rebelling, I was starting to really become aware of like the Catholic church, the church's stance on a lot of things, their attitude towards women. And so I, um, you know, and also just the fact that I was being forced to go. (laughs) Yeah. Like screw that. Um, but then in college, I, you know, at a liberal arts school had the opportunity to, um, you know, study religion from like a historical Isn't that interesting when you do that? I did a little bit of that too. It's really eye-opening. I mean, I, I didn't do to maybe to a great extent, but at a community college, I once took a class about the New Testament as literature. Because I knew, the thing is, I took that class because I didn't know anything about religion and I was kind of embarrassed. I, I didn't grow up going to church or anything. I knew nothing about it. So I took that class and it was taught by an Episcopal priest. And when, and when he was teaching the class about how the Bible was actually put together, I'm thinking to myself, so you don't really believe in God then, do you? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was, and yeah, it was, it was, it really, it was, yeah, it, it helped too, like to have this, um, you know, broader perspective. And, you know, I, I left college basically considering myself an agnostic and kind of her, you know, in college, I was kind of hardcore about it. Like, you know, like religion is the opiate of the masses, right. you know, but, um, you know, after school, I just kind of became like, it just wasn't a part of my, my life. And, um, you know, I felt like it was a, a settled issue. So, so yeah, it was really, and, and, and yeah, my husband wasn't, I mean, it's sort of similar. He had been raised going to church but um, had a lot of objections to some of their stances. And so, you know, it was never a question like, are we going to raise our children religious, religiously? I mean, we both knew that that wasn't, wasn't for us. So you were pretty much in the same place that I kind of was when, with respect to religion, when I got to that first meeting, although I didn't know, I didn't have a religious background, but I, I, I wasn't, I didn't really consider myself an atheist, but I didn't really, religion wasn't part of my life. And I found it kind of weird what was going on around me. But anyway, that's where I was kind of similar to where you were. So then how, how did you, how did you proceed from there? Well, um, you know, I was like, like, you know, like we are, like we are when we get to the doorstep of AA, like, you know, pretty desperate and willing to give whatever was, was told to me a try. And, um, you know, so I, to a certain degree, like I memorized my prayers, the third step prayer and, um, you know, and would, and would say them. I, had a sponsor, but she was not, um, super orthodox. Um, she didn't push the religion part of it. And I think that, you know, looking back that I'm really grateful for that because, you know, kind of being in a susceptible, uh, impressionable place, <laughs> I wonder what would have happened if I would have gotten a sponsor who had been, you know, really dogmatic. Um, you know, either it would have probably pushed me out or I would have, I don't know, been <laughs> more like brainwashed, but you know, she kind of just let me be me, 
you know, um, and I think like my experience was similar to a lot of women in that, like, I did not as like the Bill Wilson's and the Dr. Bob's had this feeling, feeling of like, I was a, you know, a master of the universe. Like most (laughs) of the time I felt like a piece of shit, (laughs) you know? And so, um, having somebody who was just willing to, um, listen to my, listen to me talk and not judge was huge. I mean, I think that was where, um, the change really started happening. You know, there came a point where, um, I was, you know, psychologically starting to have some real problems with, um, depression again. And that's where I saw, and I saw outside help and, um, that, the, the, therapist that I connected with was somebody who is really grounded in like mind, mind, body approach. Uh, somatic experiencing was her, her, uh, realm of, of, um, therapeutic approach, which has to do a lot with, um, you know, yeah, just the trauma that we hold in our body. And, and, uh, I really, voraciously consumed every bit of information I could about that. And um, so the thing that's interesting about my sobriety story is like all the like life getting turned upside down happened after I got sober. (laughs) Um, You know, I started to realize that, um, you know, like I, I cared for my husband a a great deal, but um, it was, you know, I wasn't in love with him. I, um, I like realized that, uh, you know, a big part of my, my drinking had been um, related to like repressing my sexuality. And, um, you know, as I mentioned, I had that, uh, period back in, um, where I was, uh, working overseas as a au pair and, and had a relationship with a woman then. And, um, you know, but had not ever, really dealt with that that kind of remained like a a separate part of me that alcohol really helped (laughs) to keep down so so yeah so uh, you know I just had you know all of the stuff come up and fortunately you know my um my husband was is is a deeply um, decent person. And, um, you know, he, um, just kind of accepted it and, um, was really respectful, um, towards me and we were able to, yeah, kind of figure out how to disentangle our lives in a way that was, um, not, um, there was, there was really no animosity and, um, we were both able to be really good parents to our kids you know, and I think, you know, so then I thought, okay, well, now I've gotten through it all, like got through the, the like, um, you know, the sexuality stuff, but then it was like family stuff started coming up and, um, yeah. And that was like a whole nother journey, which ended up with me, um, becoming kind of permanently estranged with half of my family. Um, but like, reestablishing connections with my dad's side. We'd had real, a lot of, we've, yeah, we were constantly butting heads when I was a teenager. Um, but we kind of circled back around and having kind of both 
been, you know, ground through the middle of life, really um, found ourselves both at a place of being able to be honest with each other. Um, and he was accepting of me in a way he never had been before. So kind of got through that. And then it's like, oh, wow, okay. Now I've gone through all the layers of the onion, dealt with the family stuff, the sexuality, but then um, was just trucking along this year. And uh, um, this uh, person came into my life who um, had a lot of unresolved issues of her own. And that just set off something in me that um, I was just really not prepared for and kind of like took me back to the, that like teenage period of my, my life where I just got in this obsessive lane of, of thinking about a relationship and absolutely nothing could relieve it. It was really like um, after all that I had been through in sobriety, all of a sudden to be brought back to this like really low place of feeling absolutely like having no control over my, my mind and um, just being stuck playing this record, um, you know, every waking hour of the day. And when I tried to talk to some people in AA about it, um, being told, well, have you prayed about it? Have you turned it over? You know, like. And, and just having it kind of turn back at me, like, like if you're having these kinds of problems and it's because your program's not good. And, and that just, uh, I think is kind of what is the, you know, the spark that led off, um, you know, the explosion or whatever analogy, but like, they're just one day I woke up and realized that um, this way of thinking about the world that, you know, there's somebody behind the scenes pulling the strings. And if you just kind of say the right, put yourself in the right posture that you're going to be given, you'll, you'll have earned grace and um, your problems will be removed. It was like, I just saw suddenly really clearly how my obsessive thinking and that belief system had um, collided in a really dysfunctional way. And um, that like what I needed to hear was somebody to sit down with me and say, like, what are you going to change? What power do you have here? What do you have control over? And um, as soon as I started like exercising my, my power, my control, um, it just like the thinking changed. And and that just like really set off, uh, you know, a period of um, examination of, you know, all of the words as written in the big book. And like, if you're really to believe that, then that's a certain way of living your life that you shouldn't be, shouldn't be a prerequisite to seeking recovery. Um, and um so, yeah, so, <laughs> um, you know, I'm not that my where I live is it's not a small town, but um, it's not a big town. And so I really had no idea that the secular thing was happening on any level until, um, you know, I talked to the Internet about it. And it was like, oh, my gosh, like this is huge. This is happening everywhere. And um, it was just like really encouraging 
was like, I'm not crazy, <laughs> you know? And, um, you know, I started talking with some people who were receptive in AA about it. And, uh, you know, they had a hard time arguing with it. And, um, you know, I, that's when I began to feel like, you know, it's not an, I felt like it's not enough to just say, well, like my perspective has changed, you know, like, because, uh, it was also very humbling to suddenly be in the shoes of all of the people who I'd seen come through the rooms who had said like, you know, I want recovery. Um, I am desperate, but I cannot believe this, this, you know, these things. And, um, all of a sudden it was like, I, it was like, I had stood in judgment of those people. I had, I had said what people say, like, well, if you really wanted recovery, then, you know, you would, you would subscribe to this belief. And I just, uh, yeah, it was like, well, you know, I have this new perspective and, um, you know, what can I do for the alcoholic who still suffers? Um, you know, try to, um, help make a place locally where, you know, we can talk without fear of, of reprisal. Or <laughs> Did you, during that time before you got to where, um, you're, um, starting this meeting, were you speaking out, um, in your group about how you actually felt about things now? And did you get any pushback or were you kind of keeping it to, to yourself? Um, I started talking publicly about it pretty quickly. Okay. I mean, that, that was the the benefit of, you know, having had eight years of sobriety. It was like, you know, I felt like I could, um, you know, I had enough uh, wherewithal and authority to go toe to toe with some of these okay. people who were more dogmatic in there. What was that like? Did, were you surprised or was it, I was kind no. of surprised. I mean, I got a little bit of pushback from some people and I knew these people for like 25 years. And all of a sudden, just because I wasn't saying what I had been saying for so long, it was like they were suddenly correcting me and, and meetings and so forth. So that was my little experience, but some people were pretty cool about it though too. But there was a group of people that just, couldn't accept that I was singing a different tune all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, um, so it was just, uh, last month where we had the group conscious where we voted on the proposal for a secular meeting. And, um, you know, that was where the, the most vociferous opponents, you know, had their, their say. I guess it's pretty brave of you to bring that up. I still, I still say <laughs> It took me 25 years. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah, if I waited that long, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I might not, might, might not be around. So no. it was like now or never, but, but yeah, you know, there was people who said it's not AA, like, um, you know, because, you know, the steps are AA and if you don't believe in a higher power, then, um, you don't believe in the steps and then therefore you don't believe in AA and, um, you know, and then there was a lot of the, you know, like, who are you to, you know, come here and, you know, make this proposal to do things differently from, 
you know, what we know, you know <laughs> all of this history. Yeah. And, um, and, um, but yeah, but then like, so there was like surprising advocates and they weren't necessarily the people I, I would have expected. Like, you know, they weren't the people who I was closest with socially in the program. It was just kind of people who, um, you know, I guess kind of had quietly had their own reservations. And, um, so, yeah, so when, so when the, it came down to the vote, um, the proposal prevailed by, by two votes. (laughs) So it was pretty close, but, um, yeah, so we actually just had our first meeting this week. Congratulations. Yeah. And, um, it went well, you know, not a huge crowd, but, uh, you know, a couple people who came and just were, we had a really frank discussion about, you know, what we, what we thought. And yeah. Uh, yeah. One of the thing, one of the, um, things that people also had a problem with was, was the format, like what's the format you're going to use. Um, so what'd so, you decide on? So, yeah. Um, I did not, I did, um, agree to, uh, only uh, rely on AA approved literature. Okay. Yeah, that seems to be a big stickling point for a lot of people. You got to read the this stuff. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, it's too bad, but okay. Yeah, um, which definitely, yeah, I would have preferred not to have to do that, but it's also kind of that that choice, that fork in the road is like, are you going to fight the system from within or are you going to, you know, try to create something from whole cloth outside? And um, I just, you know, felt like, at least for me personally, fighting it from within feels more gratifying. And also like, you know, AA does have this huge amount of infrastructure, true, you know, true. It does. And, and the incremental change is sometimes best because what, what, what might happen over time is your meeting might just grow and prosper and other people might, might, um, that aren't, haven't been going there might go. And, and as you, as your meeting continues over time, it'll become more and more normal. You know, in the beginning, you're going to get a lot of people that are just going to vent about the God stuff because there's just it drives them crazy. But after a while, it is going to be like, it's just like, this is what an AA meeting is like. We don't pray. We just talk, you know? So, and and maybe what will happen is the other people in the group will see that and they'll say, Oh wow, this really isn't that much different than what we do. <laughs> That's my hope. Yeah. 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 And you know, for, because, you know, I, I kind of imagine it being, you know, also for the alcoholic who, who hasn't yet shown up, you know, because like the people who are in the program now by definition have found a way to make it work for them, you know, by either like replacing the words in the big book, discarding, like Xing out the person, but like, you know, the people who, um, you know, that, that way is just not going to work for them, you know, like at least now, like there's a place. I know that's yeah. a great service. You know, those people that you saw coming to the meeting who thought, you know, I just don't fit in here. I can't do this. You know, I can't believe this. Imagine how many people just turn that just leave the room, you know, and never come back and just feel like, you know, it could have happened to me. I mean, at that first meeting, I looked at all that stuff and I thought, Oh great. Another place where I don't fit in, you know, 
but I just made myself fit in. I'm kind of good at doing that. I just kind of, I kind of blended in with the rest of them. <laughs> I learned how to, I learned how to quickly to, to talk the way that they talked and say the things that made their heads bob up and down. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> so you just say like higher power at the end of any series there you and go. you're good. You know? there, yes. <laughs> oh yeah. Forgot that part. You wrote something that I found was really interesting. Um, Cause I kind of, I feel the same way. It's like, I'm really more radical than they realize. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's, yeah. Like I said, it's like, um, you know, uh, I don't want to like bludgeon them over the head. Uh, But it's, it is. I know you're saying I hold back. I hold back a little bit myself. Totally. And Mm. it's, it's interesting too, because like, you know, we talk a lot in the rooms about like the people pleasing thing. And I was definitely, you know, more along the lines of a people pleaser. So, so yeah, it's been like a really surprising, you know, stage of of recovery for me to find that I can tolerate the discomfort of not making people happy. (laughs) I think you're doing great. I I think that, I think that's really fantastic. What you, what you've been able to do and, and deal with, you know, um, it, at your group. I mean, it, t- it takes a lot of courage. I, I still say uh, to do that. It took me, I mean, I remember the first time I started disagreeing with, with things at my meeting. Um, I think it was, we, I went to this 12 and 12 meeting and they were reading, I think it was from step two and it was just total BS. It was like, they were defining what a believer and an agnostic and an atheist is. And it was all complete garbage. It was like, it was like the believer says there's proof of God the, the atheist says there's proof of no God and the agnostic doesn't know or something like that. And I just said, you know, this isn't true. This, this isn't not the way it is. The atheist doesn't have any proof, you know, and, and on and on and on. I started, I started doing that more and more and I, it must've annoyed some people. Cause I, that's about when the, that's about when um, I guess I was getting a little bit braver and then I started getting the pushback. I went to an all men's group, which was kind of weird though too. Um, and, uh, so they, uh, and they just had, it was a, that's just their, their way. And, uh, well, yeah. And I, I have to say though, that like, I was hugely bolstered by, you know, like your podcast and like the, the websites that are, that are out there that have, you know, that have aggregated all of this information. I, I mean, I just, it blew my mind. Yeah. And it's incredible, isn't it? Gave me so much encouragement. Yep. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it has kind of changed the culture of AA quite a bit. Uh, I I've seen it. So I've been, uh, we started our group in KC about six years ago and I guess I've been, I've known about, so I've known about the secular AA meetings for since about 2014. And it, it was like, for me is like really shocking. What this has been going on since 1975, you know, they've had, they've had these groups all over the place um, and now there's so many of them, especially now with uh, COVID that we're meeting online, there's so many more people are learning about these meetings and finding out, like we were just talking that, wow, this really isn't that different, you know, than, so you don't close with the Lord's prayer, you know, and on zoom, it actually works better anyway, cause you can't really say the Lord's prayer on a zoom meeting and make it work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. It's- it's a cacophony. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I am so, so glad that you wrote and that you came on to share this because I think a lot of people will relate to, to what you have gone through 
And it'd be fun to have you back again sometime after your meeting's been going for a while to see how things are going, you know, and see if the people, um, the traditionalists in your group, if they have been moved one way or the other by it. Some of them will probably go to your meeting because they don't, they need a meeting at that time or something, you know, and, and, and that'll be interesting too, because they're going to think it's pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I am. I'm really, I'm really interested in it. And um, I'm really, yeah, I'm grateful, grateful to have entered this new phase of, of recovery. Um, you know, it feels, you know, I feel uh, grounded in a way that I, I, I haven't even like since I began, um, because it's like, it's interesting because uh, I, I had that feeling too. It was like, uh, I, I felt in a way like I'm a bit of a rebel because I'm going to start this agnostic group. But then on the other hand, I, I started to have a little bit more respect for AA and get more involved with AA and really wanted to be more part of it. So and it made me more excited about my recovery because now things were new and different and I could be free to think however I wanted to and say whatever I wanted to. It was just a very freeing thing. And I, and tell you the truth. So for 25 years, I was doing the whole stuff where I was kind of going along with everybody. But since I stopped doing that, the period of time when I stopped doing that to now, I grew, I grew as a person much more than I did all those previous years. Cause all the previous time, all I did was conform to what I thought other people would want me to say and do. That's really all I did. It kept me sober. And I guess life was getting better. But I really was happy to get that stuff off, you know, throw it away and just be who I am. And that's so important to me now. And I think it is to most of us is just to be who we are, to have the freedom to be who we are means a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, uh, to really be able to find out who we are, you know, because that's, that's quite a journey. And um, it does take. Uh, a lot of honesty and a lot of self-acceptance. Um, and that's where it does, you know, having people of like mind to talk to is so essential and why I, I really knew that I wouldn't be able to continue in AA if I wasn't able to carve out that space because um, it would mean like assuming a level of dishonesty that I knew would not work. And, you know, it wouldn't be recovery anymore. That's another episode of Beyond Belief Sobriety. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to support our podcast with recurring monthly contributions, head on over to patreon.com slash beyond belief sobriety or become a member of our YouTube channel. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, then visit our website beyondbeliefsobriety.com and click on the donate button. I do appreciate your support. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again real soon with another episode of Beyond Belief Sobriety.